Amen. Uh, take your Bibles and please turn to Ephesians chapter 3 as we continue our series, The Believing Church and the Unbelieving World. And I'm just going to get the elephant out of the room right away. Some of you are probably wondering, Pastor Dennis, why do you have a boot on? I do not have a cool story for you. This is what I call an old man injury. It's when you go to bed and you wake up and you need a boot. Uh, that's, just, that's just where I am in my life right now. I, I don't, sorry, no, I didn't snowboard on my vacation. Um, all I did was sleep and this happened. So, um, but <laughs> somebody said amen. Yes, yes. I, you know, the only consolation of getting older is you get wiser, hopefully. Um, not always the case, but uh, that's the only hope I have left. Um, and I, this is, uh, the boot is self-medication. I didn't go to a doctor or anything. I'll probably do that tomorrow. But um, just pray for that, if you will. I'd appreciate that. All right, Ephesians chapter 3. And, um, you know, when, whenever you're studying as a, a book as a pastor, you have, favorite, you have favorite passages, right? Like, you know, there's certain passages that grab your heart more than others. And I got to tell you, I, I, I wasn't excited to preach Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 through 13. I know that sounds weird, a pastor not excited to preach a portion of God's word, but, but hear me out for a moment. I was like, this is... This is like the boring part. Like I, I want to just preach like chapters one and two and then like preach the end of chapter three and then preach four and five. And then, um, and then I studied it and then I was like, oh, oh, wow. Oh, really? Okay, cool. I, I could do this. You know, I could do this. So we're actually, it was so, it was so powerful and arresting to me that we're going to look at it for two weeks because I can't get everything out that I want. And so, um, but that's how God's, God's word works. So here now, the reading of God's word, it is inspired and inerrant and certainly worth our attention. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 down through verse number 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in the other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ, Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 
This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Love fleshes as grass and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we have to go into your word and receive truth that is life-changing. Father, now this uh, is your word and these are your people. Unite them together, I pray. And bless us now in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen and amen. Um, If you read the passage initially, you'll notice, or you'll probably think that there's a logical disconnect. And what I mean by that is, notice how Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of the Gentiles. Then there's a little dash, and then it goes into verse number two, which shows that he kind of veers off a little bit. We call this an excursus. And you're sitting there wondering, well, why did he do that? He obviously wanted to tell us something. Well, relax, in verse 14, he picks up what he was actually gonna say. But the big question is this, why did Paul take this diversion? And and if you want to know, again, it's not hard to see. Look at verse number 13. Because verse number 13 tells us exactly why Paul takes this long um, excursus diversion from verse 2 down to verse number 12. It's so that you you not, um, it's so that, or so that he could ask them not to lose heart for what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Here's what that means in essence. Paul is writing to this church, by the way, who he has a lot of close relationships with. I mean, he is close to these people. Just just read the book of Acts chapter 19 and 20. You'll see that Paul is very close to these people and he knows something about them. He knows that his imprisonment has left them in a state of discouragement. And so this long excursus that he takes, he goes back to it and he says, the reason why I'm telling you all of this, verse verse 2 down to verse number 12, is because I know that you get discouraged. And isn't that true? All of us get discouraged. He said, that's why I'm writing this. And notice notice the word that he used. The, The word is lose heart. It's the same thing as discouraged. What does it mean to lose heart? It means to give up. It means to lose your passion, lose your desire. And it could be over anything. You can lose heart over your marriage, because your marriage is discouraging, or you can lose heart because of your job or your faith. You can lose heart because you're sick or on hard times, but, but it just means to get discouraged. Now, let, let me say this quickly. Discouragement in and of itself is not a sin. In fact, sometimes discouragement is the only proper response to what is going on in our world. For instance, in the face of wars and people suffering and dying, as we see now in the Middle East and in Ukraine, what's the proper response for the Christian for that? It's discouragement. It's discouraging. Why? Because there's nothing you could really do about it. I mean, certainly you can pray, but, but you can't do anything about it, and it's discouraging. 
Or, or what happens when you get rejected in a relationship? You know, you, you love somebody, you care about somebody, and they just reject you. How do you feel about that? You don't just walk out of that happy like a lark. No, 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 no. That's discouraging because you get rejected. Or, or what happens, in other words, when, when you face challenges in your life? It could be, again, sickness or you're dealing with something else. Discouragement is a proper response to that. And so there's some discouragement that's actually good. And, and let me say this. If you don't ever get discouraged about anything, that shows that you're spiritually callous. Because there's some things in the world that should actually bother you and, and discourage you. But at the same time, the Bible tells us that we cannot live in a state of discouragement. You can't live that way. You can't just, you can't just sit in your discouragement. Because if you just get discouraged and you live there and you stay there. In fact, that's what, that's what Paul says here in verse number 13. He says, so I ask you, do not lose heart. What does he mean? Notice it's not a command. He's, he's acknowledging the fact that we get discouraged, that things happen, we get sick, and, and we become disheartened by all of that. Uh, but he's saying here, don't, don't stay in that. That's what the word do not lose heart means. It means don't stay in a state of discouragement. Because if you stay in a state of discouragement, what happens to your faith? Well, you begin to lose your faith. You begin to devolve into self-pity. You begin to devolve into doubt. You become paralyzed and, and, and don't want to do anything spiritually. Don't want to serve anywhere. Don't want to read your Bible. And in fact, you get so discouraged that you just want to give up on your faith. Paul says, that's why you and I can't live in discouragement. And by the way, there's, a, there's an example of this, of Elijah in 1 Kings, uh, 1 Kings 19. You remember the story of Elijah? He's told by Jezebel that, that hey, I'm going to kill you. And then Elijah gets up and he goes in a cave. And he's just sitting in the cave. And as you read this text, you're like, dude, what are you doing just sitting in a cave? You just killed all the prophets of Baal. And this one woman tells you, I'm going to kill you. And, and you run into a cave? Like, what are you doing? And then God comes to him in the cave and God says, hey, what are you doing in the cave? And, and he tells God what he's doing in the cave as if God doesn't know what he's doing. Like he tries to give God a play by play of what's happening. Well, God, you know, uh, I was, uh, you know, I was serving you and I'm zealous for you. And then she threatened my life and I came in this cave and God says, hey, come on the cave. Come on the cave. You can't live here. And look, uh, let me let me pause for a minute and, and just just be real with you as your pastor and, and me, you know, uh, and my care for you. I, I don't want you to live in discouragement. We live in discouraging times. You just need to turn on the news and see that. And, and when you live in discouraging times, you know what tends to happen? You tend to live in discouragement as well. And what this passage does, and, I, and, and this again, this is why I tell you all, Paul isn't just a good exegete of scripture. He's, he's an exegete of the heart. He gets to the heart of the matter. And, and he uses amazing theology. He uses, he uses amazing thoughts. And, and, and we're going to look at some of them today. But, but at the root of this, Paul is saying, look, you can't live in discouragement. And I'm going to give you some tools to help you to prevent you from losing heart. And that's what we're going to look at today. Now, Paul gives four, four tools 
in order for us not to lose heart. And don't worry, I'm not going to go through all of them today. I'm going to look at, at some of them today, then I'll finish it up next week. We might only get to the first one, but it's important. So here's the first two. Paul says, of course, you got to look at Christ. The second one is you got to look at the gospel. The third one is you got to look at the church and the grace given to the church. And the fourth one is prayer. Right. So how do you overcome discouragement in your life? You might be sitting there and you might be discouraged. How do you overcome discouragement in your life? The first one is you look at Christ. Notice with me in verse number one. Paul says something very significant here. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Underline uh, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And let me tell you why that's significant. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I am a prisoner of Caesar. In fact, you can go through the Bible and every time you read Paul talking about his imprisonment, what does he say? I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say I'm a prisoner of of Caesar. And why is that? Now, now I, I would not have gotten this and how significant this is if it wasn't for something that happened to me when I was about 19 and 20. When I was about 19 or 20, I had a very good childhood friend that I grew up with who did something incredibly foolish, incredibly sinful, and he landed in prison for about 15 to 20 years of his life. And I remember when it just happened, I was blown away because I was like, man, how could this happen? How can you go off the rails like this? And so I, I, I called his mother up and I got on the, the list to go see him in prison and I went to see him in prison. And, and that was an experience in and of itself, because if you ever go to a Bahamian prison, like, like they have so many gates that close behind you. I mean, it's like, it's like Fort Knox, but more. I mean, and the gates are huge because they slam shut and it's like deafening how hard they are. So I, I go and eventually I go through all these checkpoints and I eventually meet up with him. And I sit down and they bring him out and he was, he had chains on him and he sat down and he looked absolutely dejected. He had his head down, he barely looked at me and I kept trying to talk to him and he kept giving me these one word answers. And, and finally I said something to the effect um, to him. I said, hey, hey, I, I know this is bad, but your life's not over. And he looked up at me and he looked me dead in the eye and I'll never forget what he said. He said, Dennis, basically it is. Basically, it is. I'm a prisoner now of Her Majesty's prison. Now, listen to me. I understood exactly what he meant. I understood that for him, all of his dreams were over. All the things he wanted to accomplish, all the things that he wanted to do was over. Why? Because he was in control of the state, the prison. And they told him, They they were in complete control of his life. They told him where to go, when to shower, what to do. They limited his freedom. In fact, if I could say it this way, they were completely sovereign over his life. Now you get the point? Paul, in this passage, by acknowledging that he's a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying something so profound. Here's what he's saying. Paul is saying, look, I don't care about the nature of my circumstance because here's what is true of me. Caesar is not sovereign over me. Even in prison, the Lord Jesus Christ is sovereign over me. I'm not ultimately under Caesar's control. I'm under the control of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
Now, why is that important and how does that apply to us? It applies to us like this. Whenever you and I get discouraged, it's like we enter a prison. It enslaves us. It's all that you and I think about. Think about it. When you get discouraged by your marriage, what do you do? All you think about is your marriage. All you think about how discouraging it is to be in your marriage and all the things that are happening. And you become a prisoner of that. Or, or think of your job. Think about, think about when you get discouraged by your job. All you think about is your job and, and how everything on your job is happening to you and it's holding you down. And it could be about anything, your lack of relationship. You all that are in college, you know this to be the case. If you're getting bad grades or you don't have a good friend group, you become absorbed by that. It's almost like you enter in a prison. And Paul is telling all of us in here today, if you are experiencing like discouragement, strong discouragement, it's like you've entered into a prison. You're trapped by what is going on in your life. Now, the big question is, how do we get outside of that prison? Because we're trapped. How do we get out? Paul actually tells us, and interestingly enough, the song that we sang corresponds, verse 3 and 4 corresponds to my point. And, and I didn't know that initially. I kind of wrote my sermon and then went back and read through the bulletin. And it perfectly corresponded with the point. So how, if you all are in the imprisonment of discouragement, how do you get out? Paul gives us two, two places. First of all, Paul says the providence of God. Notice with me in verse number 13. We're going to eventually work our way through this entire passage, but I want you to see something he says in verse number 13. He says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now, what does he mean by that? This is such a powerful statement that Paul is making. Here's what Paul is saying. I want to ask this in the form of a question. What if your condition, what if it is that, whatever it is that's discouraged you, what if your condition brought more glory to God than if it never happened? What if, what if you getting sick, what if you, what if you getting sick brought more glory to God than if you never got sick? What if, what if your divorce brought more glory to God than if you didn't get divorced. Now hear me for a second. It's not that God ordains divorce. It's not that God wants it. But what if that state caused you to bring more glory to God? Because that's essentially what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, it, saying this, God got more glory out of me being in prison than if I was out of prison. Look, listen to me. This is high theology, but it's also incredibly practical. Because at the end, Paul is saying something profound to all of us, that our lives rest in the providence of a holy God. And whatever God allows to happen to you in your life is the best possible thing that can possibly happen for your glory. Some of you struggle with mental health and you wonder, what, God, why did you give me this mental health issue? Why? Because you are bringing more glory to God with your mental health issue than you are by not having it. God, why, why did you give me cancer? Because you having cancer brings more glory to God than you not having it. Lord, why do you saddle me with doubt? Because your doubts bring more glory to God than if you never doubted. God, just put anything in that spot. 
Put anything in that spot. You sitting down here today, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're battling with, know this. That thing is bringing more glory to God than if it never happened to you. That's what Paul says. And by the way, this isn't hypothetical. Notice, Paul says, so I I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And, And here's the point that Paul is making that's so profound. Paul says, when they threw me in prison, they thought the progress of the gospel stopped, but it didn't. Because when they threw Paul in prison, Paul picked up the pen. And five of his letters were penned from prison to the people that were discouraged. And guess what? It survived for over 2,000 years and went all the way west to the United States to where you and I now have the letter. Paul would have never written Ephesians if he wasn't in prison. Why? Because Paul was a go-getter. I mean, you couldn't slow the man down long enough to write anything. But here we are now, the recipients of his letter. It is more glory to us that I could read the book of Ephesians and be refreshed by the gospel. Why? Because he was in prison. And look at every area of your life. Doesn't matter what it is. In the moment that you're suffering or going through, whatever it is you're going through, know this, that you or what is happening to you is bringing more glory to God than if it never happened to you. So that's the first thing, the providence of God. Notice the second thing that I think is important, the promises of God, promises of God. Notice with me in verse number six. Again, there's there's so many nuggets in here. I, I wish we had like an hour or two that we could just meditate on this passage, but you have to trust me on this one, right? Look at verse number six. Paul says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Here's what he's telling them. Think about the promises of God whenever you're discouraged. Because they're for you. One of my favorite books to read is Pilgrim's Progress. And if you've never read it, by the way, you should. Um, You know, it used to be the second most read book in the world, in the, in the English language, right behind the Bible. And then Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life, and that took it over. But I'm so thankful that, that actually um, it's making a resurgence, so now it's back to number two, amen? You know, like, I mean, I, you know, you know I, I have nothing against Brother Rick, but I'm glad um, Pilgrim's Progress is back to number two, right? So in the book, in the book, Christian, Christian and hopeful are trapped in Doubting Castle. And and they were being tortured by the giant of despair. And and the giant of despair is trying to discourage them and trying to get them to kill themselves. Now listen up, those of you inside here today who struggle with suicidal thoughts. This is important. Discouragement in and of itself could never kill you. The devil in and of himself can never harm you. But if you are overcome by those things, you end up harming yourself. And here's why Pilgrim's Progress is such a powerful book and what it tells us about discouragement 
or if you struggle with thoughts of suicide or if you struggle with mental health issues because, because Christian and hopeful were there. They were being beaten and tortured. And here's what, what Christian says. Christian says, of what a fool I am lying in this stinking dungeon when I can walk free. I have a key in my pocket called promise. And I am persuaded it can open any lock in Doubting Castle. Now, don't miss what he's saying, because this is so important. Christian says, at his lowest moment, he realized, he prayed and realized that the promises of God are like keys to unlock and let us out of discouragement if we only avail ourselves of it. Now, what, what is this promise? What are these, some of these promises? Well, we can go straight to this text. And, and one of the promises is, again, found in verse number six, that now these Gentiles who are discouraged are fellow heirs. That means they've been brought into the kingdom. So how does that translate to you and I? Whenever you feel discouraged, know that you've been brought into the kingdom of God. That you've been translated out of darkness into light. Your, your most fundamental problem is that you don't know God and that you need God and you need to be in his kingdom. That's your most fundamental problem. And Paul is saying that's being taken care of by Jesus Christ. And notice with me again in verse number 11. He says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, you have a home in heaven because of that. That you don't have to live in despair and discouragement because now you've been given something glorious and that is the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a powerful concept. But you could go on and on. It's, it's the reality of the gospel. That's what Christian realized. That he had something in his back pocket. The promises of God. And think about the promises of God. Think about the comfort and hope that God gives us in the gospel through his promises to lead us out of despair. Now, I want to end with this. I was reading um, the gospels and I happened on Matthew 28. And, and I found that it's very significant that the last two promises Jesus gave his disciples were promises of his power and his presence. And here's why I found that significant. I found it significant because when you and I get discouraged, I, I don't know necessarily about you, but, but with me, when I get discouraged, you know the two things that really cause me to get discouraged or how I know I'm discouraged? When I feel powerless and when I feel that God isn't near me or with me. When I get discouraged, I can, I can mark it. I feel powerless, and I feel that God is not with me. So isn't it interesting, when Jesus left earth, he said, all power was given unto me in heaven and earth, and now you have access to that power. And isn't it interesting, he says, lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the earth. Why? Because when we get discouraged, those two things happen. And so let me encourage you today through the message of Ephesians chapter 3. If you are feeling discouraged, remember two things. The promises of God 
Remember the promises of God and the power that that has. And remember the presence of God, that even though he doesn't feel like he's near, he certainly is. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that these things are true. Yes, and amen. And sometimes as difficult as it is for us, your people, to accept, whatever happens to us brings us more glory than if it didn't because you are sovereign. Father, as we are reminded from Ephesians chapter 3, you don't want us to stay and live in discouragement. You want us to break free. And so help us, help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.